This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello and welcome to this podcast from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. I'm Barnaby Fletcher, and this is our regular series of podcasts exploring the impact of COVID-19 on sub-Saharan Africa. As we record this on the 27th of April, there are just short of 19,000 confirmed cases across sub-Saharan Africa, with around 500 deaths. The rate at which COVID-19 is spreading throughout the region continues to be far slower than has been seen in Europe, the Americas, or most other regions around the world. We have to be very careful about this data due to the limited testing capabilities of many countries. But it is notable that this trend holds true even in those countries with relatively strong testing programs, such as Mauritius or South Africa. But even as efforts to contain the spread of the virus seem to be having some tentative successes, African governments face a number of other challenges. In our last podcast, we discussed the economic and fiscal problems caused by this pandemic. Today, we are discussing the spread of misinformation and disinformation, a problem that governments across the region are taking extremely seriously, as demonstrated by this recent statement by Ghanaian President Nana Akufo-Addo. Fellow Ghanaians, as we fight to hold the spread of the virus, we're also engaged in fights on two other fronts, fights we must equally win. Firstly, There continues to be the deliberate dissemination of fake news, disinformation, and outright lies by some unpatriotic citizens about the spread of the virus since its outbreak in the country. These acts are being orchestrated by those who seek to benefit by seeking to sow the seeds of panic and confusion amongst the populace at this time of national crisis. I have an unequivocal, unambiguous message for those involved in these despicable acts. Put an immediate stop to it or be held accountable for your actions. To discuss this issue, we are joined by Pakola Borarinwa, one of Control Risk's own analysts who has been closely looking at the issue. It is Worth making clear that the spread of fake news around COVID-19 is absolutely not a problem limited just to Africa. We have, for example, seen the false stories about 5G in the US and UK that have led to infrastructure being destroyed. Bucky, could you give us a sense of what kind of misinformation we are seeing across sub-Saharan Africa? Hi, Bonnie. Yeah, again, the problem of fake news and disinformation as a global one to the extent that the World Health Organization has labeled it an infodemic and that it's posing as much of a threat to fighting COVID-19 as all the sort of implementations that they're putting in on ground. And so in sub-Saharan Africa, what makes things a little bit more precarious is number one, the level of information that's getting spread around is potentially dangerous in the sense that people act on advice that they're given and So before the very first case was recorded, there was um, rumors about it not being able to affect black people. Things about the sun or, you know, the heat in African countries 
um, reducing the spread of COVID-19. And in some countries, this delayed the preparations um, that could have been quickly put in place to help reduce the numbers. Then as, as more and more cases began to be identified, it was associated with people that had traveled or in certain countries with foreigners. And again, giving people a false sense of immunity that um, they couldn't catch the disease. And certain precautions that could have been taken were not because of the um, these rumors that had been flying around. And as community transmission really began to spread, there were various rumors about remedies or preventions and cures began sort of circulating. So things about drinking local alcohol, or drinking chloroquine, drinking tea, um, eating garlic and things like that really spread quite quickly. And the danger with certain African countries is that people are quick to believe some of these things and, and start to try it. So we saw that best exemplified during the Ebola crisis where there was a rumor circulating about drinking or bathing in salt water. And we actually had a number of deaths um, in Nigeria from people, you know, drinking salt water. And so within Africa, the problem of, of disinformation is number one, how quickly it can spread. And number two is the vulnerability of people to believe some of these things and its ability to cause real world harm. In the clip we played at the beginning of the podcast of the Ghanaian president, he was suggesting that certain actors were deliberately spreading fake news. In other words, this is disinformation rather than just misinformation. What is your sense of this? Are, are most of these stories and the examples you just gave born out of fear and uncertainty or are there criminal or perhaps political motivations behind some of them? That's a very good question. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that self-medication is quite prevalent in a lot of African countries. So a lot of ailments are cured using traditional means and as you know, access to hospitals, access to medical care is difficult for a lot of people. And so people are used to taking care of health situations by themselves. And so when you have a new virus where people have never heard about it, people often try to think about, OK, what's the what's the kind of solution that we can come up with? And we can see that this issue of self-medication is so prevalent in, in Africa that we've had um, certain, for example, Tanzanian president talking about steam inhalation, killing the virus and the Madagascan president endorsing a controversial herbal tea. And so this belief really permeates across all of the society. And, and genuinely, people believe that some of these things could work, especially when there's an absence of an alternative. But at the same time, we do see people using disinformation to sort of spread particular types of agenda. A good example of that is the anti-vaccination agenda that people have been using COVID-19 to sort of promote. Um, so in certain parts of Africa, getting people to get vaccinated, there's a there's a sort of distrust of health authority because of longstanding issues about people being used as, in quote, guinea pigs or being used to test certain medication. And so that mistrust of health authority and vaccination is really being played upon by certain actors to to push anti-government or anti-health authority rhetoric. And so oftentimes it's really a mix of a lot of those issues. And obviously some of this misinformation has pretty tragic personal consequences for individuals who, for example, adopt certain remedies or don't take precautions to protect themselves. But what are the other consequences of the spread of some of these stories, and especially kind of looking at those political agendas that you spoke about? Why are governments so concerned about misinformation? And should our listeners who you know, are often investors or companies operating in Africa be concerned? 
Yes, definitely. So disinformation really permeates across the society. And we're seeing it have implications, for example, on security. In Nigeria, for example, there was a rumor that was spread around about local gangs coming to attack certain parts of two cities in the southwest. And local communities really got ready for the attacks. There was a deployment of police officers, but the attacks never came. And it turned out that there were hoaxes that people had spread, really playing on people's fears of an uh, Already tense security situation. Same thing in Ghana, for example. During the lockdown, there were a lot of fake videos or videos of incidents that had happened before being spread around social media, depicting the police and armed forces um, being brutal to people who fail to adhere to the lockdowns and really causing a sense of fear and panic. A more pertinent one is xenophobic attacks against Chinese people in a number of countries, such as Kenya. And these um, videos of um, their shops being burnt or, the, or them being beaten up were um, being spread on social media. But th- that those were actually videos that were not attributed to um, anything. So we, we see real um, security concerns coming up there. And then we can also see it quickly boil into social unrest. So a good example of this is a testing center being built in Ivory Coast in Abidjan was quickly burnt down when false information that people were going to be used for trials was really spread on local media and social media. And it it caused residents in the area to burn down the testing facility, saying that they didn't want the virus to be spread in their community. And so you you see immediate real world um, security concerns. And then also from a political perspective as well, you see especially opposition parties use disinformation to discredit the government or to discredit the government's response to COVID-19. If they put in lockdown measures, the opposition will use disinformation to say lockdown measures are causing, you know, hardship and and show maybe false examples of of, um, people dying and things like that. Um, And on on the converse side, if they um, take down the restrictions, they can be incidents of fake videos showing that people are rapidly dying from the virus and that might not actually be the case. It really has a lot of security, political and sometimes economic effects, which is why a lot of governments are really trying to figure out a way to clamp down on it. So in terms of the government's clamping down on it, I know that quite a few governments have taken a very hard line, introduced legislation, introduced penalties, fines, Uh, We've seen such moves in Ghana, in South Africa, in Madagascar, in Kenya, etc. Are any of these efforts likely to be successful? Have we seen any signs of success? It's a really hard line to balance dissuading people from promoting fake news while at the same time allowing people the freedoms to to speak their mind or, or um, speak on their perspectives on certain issues. Some governments just allow people to, you know, say whatever they want to say and, and that has um, real world effects. And at the same time, we've seen got some governments that have quickly clamped down on it and, and arrested people, arrested even journalists for their covering of, of COVID-19 or any misinformation that's being spread on that and the probably the the best way lies somewhere in the middle but what's clear is that governments cannot do it alone they need to have a multi sort of stakeholder approach to fake news working with some of the media local media platforms as well as social media platforms working with NGOs working with health authorities as well as local and community chiefs to really allow everyone to be able to speak their mind and, and talk about what their fears are and provide them with accurate information but we 
without it getting to the extent of clamping down on media organizations, for example, for, for dissent or for disagreement with your handling of the situation. And so governments need to realize that oftentimes a clampdown, a hard clampdown is unlikely to work because what then happens is that people go into closed networks and continue to spread that disinformation. So disinformation is easy to, to find if it's in, in on, on a public social media platform or in a newspaper or radio, for example. But we increasingly seen it being spread on WhatsApp groups, for example, on closed groups that you might not be able to infiltrate. And if people don't feel like they can speak out, a lot of those wrong information will still be spread. But then there's no way for you to actually give them the right and proper information. I think you touched on some really interesting points there. I mean, attempts to regulate the spread of fake news are notoriously difficult across the world. Uh, as you say, cracking down on misinformation may quickly tip over into infringing on free speech. And also the role of social media platforms are obviously the main vehicle for spreading false information, especially given their huge expansion and take up in Africa in recent years. But they're also being used by civil society groups and governments to spread accurate and valuable information about COVID-19. I'm wondering if you could give any examples across sub-Saharan Africa of A, governments that are perhaps getting it wrong or using this as an excuse to crack down on, on free speech and uh, a free press, but also maybe examples where it's going right. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that what we're seeing is that governments that have that already are very harsh on free speech are just using this as another excuse or another reason to further clamp down on dissent. So we haven't really seen a situation where a country that has relatively good free speech suddenly go all the way to the opposite. It's usually countries that are already having some of these challenges that just use this as an opportunity to clamp down. So, for example, in Somalia, we've seen um, at least four journalists detained over their coverage and the, maybe certain criticism about the availability of um, personal protective equipment. And the same thing in Tanzania, for example, media figures have been suspended for their reporting. In Ethiopia and Kenya as well, we've seen people being arrested. Another sort of interesting example is the Ugandan government, which has used the COVID-19 pandemic to target um, the LGBT community and um, sort of going into shelters and, and using some of the lockdown criterias to arrest um, people like that. I think some governments such as South Africa, for example, have been able to maybe tread that fine line. So South Africa quickly enacted um, regulation criminalizing disinformation under its um, Disaster Management Act, um, and it put in some penalties for fines and imprisonment. And it, it recently used this to arrest someone who had posted a video that was widely circulated on Facebook asking South Africans not to get testing for COVID-19 because some of the test kits were contaminated. Now, this kind of information is really dangerous because discouraging people from getting tested is really going to compound the problem. But they, they haven't used this sort of as an excuse to systematically target journalists or media organizations. And so I think that they're, they're so far able to, you know, tread that fine balance. And countries that already have low press freedoms are those that we actually really need to watch because it can quickly go from COVID coverage to freedom of the press and freedom of speech really clamp down on. Bacola, thank you very much for taking the time to discuss this today. Thank you so much. 
the next couple of episodes, we'll be talking with our own compliance specialists to find out how COVID-19 is throwing up new issues that investors must consider as part of their due diligence processes and our crisis and security experts about how to deal with some of the security concerns that the crisis is raising. Please do visit controlrisk.com forward slash COVID-19 to read more of our analysis and find out how we are helping clients navigate this crisis. And please do reach out. Until then, I'm Barnaby Fletcher, and thank you for listening to this podcast from Control Risks. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com. Controlrisks.com